Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to 3CR. Uh, I'm Bill and we're on the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kHz on your AM dial. This week I'm talking about recovering from the effects of alcoholism and how support from self-help group like Alcoholics Anonymous can make a real difference. I'd like to welcome Chris and David to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi. 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 Um, they're members of Alcoholics Anonymous and they'll share with us their experience with alcoholism and how AA has helped them. So, um, Dave, you've been 21 years sober right here, uh, which is... 23, right, okay, 23 years sober. That's a pretty, uh, pretty good start. So I was wondering if you'd like to share your history, a, a bit about what it was like when you were, were growing up, sort of your family situation and you know, how you started drinking and how the drinking progressed. Sure, sure. <clears throat> yeah, my name's David and, and I'm an alcoholic. I'm glad I know I'm an alcoholic. Because that means I can sort of do something about that. The... Um, uh, I come from a family that doesn't drink at all. Um, there was no uh, no drinking at my home at all, uh, and uh, it was a pretty pretty happy family most of the time. Uh, you know, went through the normal te- teenage angst and stuff like that. And uh, I left home fairly early. Went to school and to go to school in Melbourne. And when I was about seventeen, was the first time I had a drink. And uh, I thought to myself, don't tell my mum because she would be very disappointed in me if I had a drink because um, it was just against you know, what they believed in doing. And, but I had a drink and it didn't seem to worry me too much and I thought, yeah, this is okay. Um, what's the big deal? Uh, why, shouldn't I cont- why shouldn't I drink? And uh, it didn't have a huge impact on me straight away because I was more interested at 17 in getting girlfriends and doing, you know, doing well at school and... Uh, you know, and sport and things like that. I was quite sort of successful at school and, you know, uh, that sort of thing. And But then a couple of years later when I went to university, that's when, the, you know, got into that party mode and started drinking a lot. Yeah. So what and what changed? What, what changed? Yeah. I don't know, maybe it's a bit more freedom, right? Uh, being out of the school environment, being out of the family environment, you know, in that environment where there's a lot of partying going on and things like that and that that attracted me but I found that I drank differently to other people lots of people you know partied and stuff but I I found that there was this thing this different thing in that I had didn't couldn't control it very much other people could have a few drinks and enjoy themselves but I tended to keep on going and keep on going and um, other people would leave the party or you know uh, and go home or whatever, and I would just want to keep on drinking, and I was always looking for the next one and the next one and the next one. So even though I'd been quite successful at school before, prior to that, but that first that year in that first year at university, uh, I stopped going to classes, um, you know, because I was you know, hungover and this type, and I was just looking for parties, and I and I totally failed that that year that first year at university because I spent the time drinking. Wow, yeah. right. so it's <laughs> quite a, quite a start. Yes. So, how did it um, progress for you then? From there, you know, I, I left that and, and got a job, and uh, and I thought, well, that's okay. I can, I, you know, I'm good at good at what I do, and uh, you know, got a job in a corporate type job, and was there for a while. But, and you know, had a relationship, and that was sort of going okay for a while. But I, I sort of drank too much, and every now and then. I just drink too much, and I do things that I regret, and say yeah. something to my girlfriend that later on I think, gee, I shouldn't have said that, and just do things. Sometimes do dangerous things. Yeah, you know, yeah. take risks. I, I, I didn't drive. I didn't. Uh, you yeah. know, probably that's a good thing, but uh, you know, doing do yeah, just it sort of escalated, and that relationship broke up, and and. Uh, but then I went. I went back to uni. Went back to. I went to RMIT to study yeah. computers and stuff. And the same thing happened there. Uh, I didn't study, but I, I mean, uh, and never and never actually completed that course. But did get, end up with a job in the computer industry. And at the time, yeah. that was a while ago. Computers yeah. were were new, and there's lots of money in making. You know, lots of money to be made in that area. Yeah. And 
So got you know started getting good jobs, and uh, my drinking was sort of there in the background, and occasionally it would it would cause a problem, but I was trying to keep it under control, right? Yeah. But I always knew I drank differently to other people, and there were times where I wouldn't drink. I'd make the decision, right, if we had a, a work function or something, other people would be drinking, and I wouldn't drink because I knew if I did, it would go out of control, and I didn't want to yeah. make them, yeah. you know. So even back then, before there was lots of really big problems caused in my life, I knew there was something different about my drinking, and that's why there are times where I didn't drink because I knew there wasn't going to be enough for me. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, and I found out later. I found out later. Sometimes it's easier for an alcoholic to say no, to have no, not have a drink at all, yeah. than to have one or two. One or two for me is no good because yeah. that just sets off this thing, and I just got to keep on going. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, um, Chris, <coughs> over to you. Um, so you're you're not only the an alcoholic. You mm-hmm. have been the wife of an alcoholic and are the wife of an alcoholic now, and <laughs> you're the parent of an alcoholic drug addict yes so you've you've been through the ringer in real terms um as far as life goes so can you talk about you know what your family life was like and when you started drinking and then how your drinking progressed yeah thanks bill um my name's chris and i'm an alcoholic and um you know i was the oldest of five kids and we were just a typical battling aussie family you know, it was dad had three jobs and mum stayed home and looked after the kids and, you know, and and things were pretty normal. You know, there's, um, there was, a, we didn't go without, yeah. you know, there was always lots of presents under the Christmas tree and plenty to eat and, you know, we had clothes to go to school with and shoes to wear. So there wasn't anything that was really stand out um, bad for us. We had a good, good childhood and... Um, but that sort of started turning around for me at around 14, 15. You know, there was a bit of an angst there and I'd fight a lot more with mum and, you know, and I had girlfriends who were doing the same thing and and we'd go out and, and drink and, you know, and when I drank, I would drink to get drunk. You know, it wasn't just a social drink. We'd, we'd go behind the, you know, at the youth club and sculled two bottles of Brandovino, yeah. <laughs> top-shelf stuff. <laughs> and, um, and so I was drinking to get drunk. And, and why, um, why were you doing that? Was it, did it make you feel good? Um, it, you know, I, I look back on it now and it was just stuff we did, you know. Yeah. It didn't really make me feel good. I remember, you know, the first time I drank that way, my dad came to pick me up from um, the youth club on the Friday night and... I, I was staggering. I, I, couldn't, I was legless, yeah. basically. Yeah. And I remember getting home and bouncing off the walls to get down to the bedroom and mum screaming in the background saying, oh, it must be more than alcohol. <laughs> alcohol can't do that to you. What have you been taking? You know, so, and I got up the next morning and I thought, and so hung over and sick at 15 and thought, I'll never do that again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it wasn't something I really enjoyed. Yeah. and But it was the thing that we were all doing at the time. Yeah. And the really um, strange thing to me as as I grew up was that the, you know, my girlfriends who were drinking with me, they seemed to be able to control it when they drank. You know, they'd only have a couple, one or two drinks. By the time we got to the ages of 19, 20, you know, they were drinking the same as everyone else. But I found when I started drinking, it would just go out of control. It would activate this craving and I wanted to keep drinking. So I got pregnant. Right. <laughs> and, and, and being 20 and being pregnant, it was just like, well, I can't drink. And that was it. I didn't drink. And then I had, you know, I had Wendy and then 13 months later I had Melissa and then 11 months later I had Grant. And in that two and a half years of being pregnant, I very rarely drank. Mm. And so I thought, ah, oh, you know, I'm okay. Solved. Yeah. Solved. <laughs> <laughs> then what happened? Um, well, my husband was always a, a big drinker and, um, and he'd, he'd had an accident and actually got um, prescribed a lot of medication. Mm. And with that medication came lots and lots of problems. 
and um, and he became addicted to that prescribed medication. And so our lives really started to get rough. You know, he couldn't work anymore and I had three babies and no money and and it was really getting rough. And so um, we moved from Kyneton to Witchyproof, which is um, north central Victoria, and found a little um, farmhouse, $20 a week, that we could afford. Mm. And so my drinking started to get out of control again. You know? Right. And, and, you know, my husband was getting really um, more aggressive. I was getting more aggressive. There was a lot of domestic violence. And so there was, you know, lots of times when he would disappear for months on end and I'd be stuck on the farm, wow. in the farmhouse with little babies and, you know, and just wishing him dead, basically, yep. you know. Yep. And because of those sort of things that were happening in my life, it was easier. I'd have a few drinks at night just to calm me down, help me sleep, yep. you know. Make it better. Yeah. Make it better. <laughs> And I found that didn't last very long. You know, yep. it was time frames are really hard to distinguish because, yep. you know, it goes out of control it really quickly over a really short period of time, especially for women. Yep. And um and so I found that once my youngest son went to school, I was stuck in this horrible little farmhouse, mice infested husband that wasn't there most of the time even though he was and um but mentally he wasn't and I thought and my drinking was out of control again yeah so I thought I'll have another baby that'll right. fix it <laughs> <laughs> and you know you do it and this is the baffling thing about it was that I would try different things I didn't have any money to leave the country but I would move furniture around the house just yeah. to make a change, yeah. just to try anything that would make something different in the home. Yeah. And, um, and of course, that just didn't work. I had no other solution but to drink. Yeah. And I drank all, all the way through that pregnancy as well. Wow, yeah. Mm. So eventually we get to the point of stopping. Yes. So, Dave, what was, what was it like for you? When did you realise that things had changed enough to make you think, right. I've got to, I've got to try and stop. Yes. And then, yeah. how did you? What, what, what was the process of sort of getting yeah. to the point? Well, when I was sort of, you know, twenty nine, that sort of age, I thought, you know, I knew there was this under this problem in the background, but you know, I thought I was able to cope with it, and I was bringing home good money. And why would the wife complain? Because I was, you know, we had a nice house and all of those types of things. We had this big promotion and. Had high, I had a high-pressure job, so I deserved to drink. But the problem is I wasn't coming home at night. You know, yeah. I'd, get, I'd get the train home and then go to the pub and sit there until you know, 11 o'clock at night until, and, until I was kicked out before I went home. So at home, that was all falling apart because it wasn't as if there was lots of arguments and stuff. I was just never there. Yeah. I was never there for the wife and, and kids. And so she got sick of that. And then I started getting problems at work. And, you know, I'm expected to perform at a certain level because that's what they pay me for and I'm not not doing that. Yeah. And so I quit the job and we thought, we'll move back to Melbourne. My wife's, you know, another baby on the on the way yeah. and, uh, you know... Another geographical. Another yeah. geographical. <laughs> and uh, we got back to Melbourne from Sydney and, and we sold the house and I didn't realise... I, I, I don't know how I missed it. I didn't realise how fed up my wife was. And as soon as the as soon as the money was, you know, we got the money from the sale of the house. She was gone. She took the money and she ran. And good on her, yeah, <laughs> right? Because she took, you know, she wanted to look after the kids. And it was like, yeah. you know, and I thought, mm, I'm not happy about it, but I thought that's okay because I can get on with my. You know, I, I'm good at my job and I can make more money. And I, you know, yeah. and that's when it all fell apart. Right, just everything fell apart. Yeah, you know, the job that I had in Melbourne, so you know, I'm not performing there either. They're complaining. I'm starting to see doctors and saying what's going on. I went to my first detox, right? A old place, not around anymore. It used to be around ages ago in Melbourne, a place called Pleasant View. Right, yes. It wasn't pleasant. Yeah. You didn't no. have a view. It was a terrible <laughs> place. You know, it's a huge ward, 25 guys in, in one open ward all detoxing at the same time. The yeah. snoring was terrible. 
<laughs> but I came out of there, and but at the time I'd been broken up with my wife for about three or four months, and I came out of there absolutely determined not to drink. I'm never going to the, the humiliation and just the of that whole situation. I, yeah. I, I'm never going to drink again. I, I met someone from AA while I was there. Uh, someone from AA came in and ran a little meeting there, and I and I thought, look, I've got enough problems of my own. I don't need to hear about anyone else's problems. Yeah. And I thought that's what they were talking about. Yeah. And uh, but you know, I didn't. I won't get away, but I can do this by myself. Yeah. Right. Confident. And then to yeah. my to my absolute astonishment, I couldn't stay stopped. Yeah. On my own. Yeah. And and for next nearly three years. You know, I'd stop drinking. I'd get medical help. I'd go and do a detox. I, you know, I, I was trying. You know, it wasn't as if I was in denial or anything. I knew I had to stop. Yeah. And every time I stopped, life would tend to start to get better. Got more money in my pocket. My health's improving. Showing up to work on time. Don't have to lie and cover things up, right? Yeah. And then somehow, I'd find myself drinking again, and I mm. couldn't explain it to anyone, to myself, or myself. Mm. You know, a stint in a psych hospital because the doctor couldn't work out why do you keep on doing this, you know, uh, and 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 you know picked up a drink while I was there. You yes, know? Uh, you know, yeah. they let me out for half a day to do something, and I came back drunk, yeah. uh, you know, and that astonished me because I was I was there voluntarily, yeah. wanting to stop drinking, yeah. and it just got worse and harder and harder. The detoxes were getting harder. I had a doctor say to me, "If you keep on drinking the way you're drinking, you're going to be dead in five years." And then a year later, a different doctor said, if you come on drinking the way you're drinking, you'll be dead in four years. Yeah. <laughs> and then a year after that, a different doctor said, you're going to be dead soon. Yeah. Right? There's a progression here that was... And I couldn't stop drinking no matter how hard I tried. With all the reasons... I had r- m- huge reasons to stop, right? And I had no reason to drink, right? No yeah. rational reason to drink. No. But I just co- I couldn't work it out. Why can't I stay stopped drinking? Yeah. Mm. Okay, so Chris, when did you realise that drinking was um, a problem to you and to your family, given you had three kids? Mm, four the, now. Four, four now, mm. yeah. Given you, you've now got four kids, <coughs> so when did that happen? Um, I think um, the disease for me was just still very much in denial in those days. Um, mainly because I could justify my drinking by blaming everyone else and everything else. And so to um, to look at my part in it was just like, well, it would be insane, wouldn't it, to go and pick up a drink after all the damage that I'd done. So I had to come up with some sort of justification, and I did that regularly. And, um, and it wasn't until... Uh, we got to a point, my husband and I, that we were going to kill each other and we separated. And just having that um, that happen and he left and I was alone with four babies, four kids, and I realised that I couldn't drink and look after four children. So when he appeared again, I gave him my two youngest children because drinking was more important. It was my friend. It kept me going. And um, and I knew that wasn't right. I knew deep down that wasn't right. And I cried for months. I remember just crying a lot and just feeling this depths of despair and thinking what a horrible person I was because I just gave my kids up. Yeah. And, um, and it was, you know, just so important for me to keep drinking. Because if I didn't keep drinking, the thoughts of suicide were stronger and were getting stronger and because I couldn't stop and I didn't have a way out. And so eventually I convinced my two oldest daughters that we needed to move. We needed to get out of this small town and get to a bigger, bigger town, bigger city, and our lives were going to change. And, um, you know, I'm very convincing Yes. Like most alcoholics. Like most alcoholics. And, you know, I'd made these promises before in different volumes at different times and I always failed. But this time they thought, well, this is a big move. You know, you're going to take us out of this small country town and put us into uh, a school that's got more people in it than our town has. Yes. So this wasn't just a change for me. This was a change for my family. And 
um, and we moved to Bendigo. And in the first first three weeks, I did stay sober, and um, and for no reason whatsoever, um, I said to them, I said to the girls that night, I'm just going down to get bread and milk, and I had no thought of a drink, and I can't remember buying it. But I can see myself walking through the back door with a cast of wine and half a dozen cans of beer because I didn't like the taste. I had to drink the beer before I could drink the cheap wine. <laughs> I didn't, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't enjoyable anymore. But no. there was no defence against it. No. So I didn't know how to live without it. And, um, and there was no reason to drink, no good reason no, to drink. No. And so, you know, the um, it got worse again really quickly, and now we're stuck there. You know, yes. we've got no, we've got nowhere no go. money, yeah. nowhere to go, yeah. no sympathy left throughout the, you know, throughout my friends or family, no community to look after us. You know, where yeah. we had that in this small town, now yeah. we have nothing. And that sounds pretty bleak. Yeah, it was a terrible place. It's a bad, you know, drinking the way that I drank. Is a real and affecting the people that I affected. It's not a nice place to be. It's that real hopelessness. Yes. And yeah. not knowing and not understanding that why I would do it. Yeah. You know, why would I go back and drink again after all the promises? Even those days when I get up in the morning and think, I'm not going to drink today, I'm not going to drink today. And then, you know, four or five o'clock. The craving sets in and I can't not drink. I have to drink. And mm. um, and so it got to that depths of despair. And my 15-year-old daughter, Melissa, she looked at me in the eyes and she said, I'm not going to stick around here and watch you die and because I'm sick of the dishonesty. This is, yep. you know, this you're is failing us. Yeah. 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 And she left. And she went on the streets of Bendigo. She had nowhere to go either. Wow. Yeah. And um, and so I looked for her and finally found her a few few weeks later. It wasn't straight away. And she went and stayed with my sister in Queensland. And while all this was happening, I started people started coming into my life that I didn't go looking for AA. AA found me. <laughs> <laughs> And That's people, good. Yeah, yeah, people started coming into my life who were sober, and that was astounding to me. And but I thought, no, you've got more willpower than I have because I have none at all. Mm. And that was even more depressing. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, that's um, that's probably a good spot to leave it. The the pre AA situation, <laughs> how bad it can get before something actually changes. Uh, well, so we might take a quick break. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. Tune in to Done by Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done by Law, 6pm Tuesdays. Uh, this is The Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Uh, are you interested in listening to one of our many podcasts? Then head to your preferred podcast platform or to 3cr.org.au forward slash living free. Uh, you'll also find details about the Living Free Show and how, how to contact us. Alternative, alternatively, you can just call us on 3CR on 9419 uh, Now, we've talked about a few issues that might raise some concerns with some people. So... If you're affected by some of the um, items that have been mentioned on the show, or if you care about somebody who needs some support, then please call one of these numbers for Suicide Prevention, Lifeline, 131114, Mental Health, Beyond Blue, 1300 224 Kids Issues, The Kids Helpline, 1-800-55-1800, and Parenting Support, the parent line one three two two eight nine. Okay, so we sort of got to the point where drinking was too much. So 
you came in contact with AA, Dave. How how did that? How hard was it to stop once you got into AA? Once I got into AA, well, I found it in the end of my drinking, I couldn't stop for one day without medical intervention, without help. Now, in, in the end, I just had to be physically separated from alcohol by going into a detox, you know, getting some medical help. Mm. A couple of times I went to my parents' house and, you know, detox there. That was more, more shameful for me than actually going into a, you know, a medical place. Um, but, uh, but then this is the thing. I, I would do that. I would get that medical help and, and stop for, you know, and you do a detox mm. seven to ten days. And once you've done that, you know, after seven to ten days, I'm feeling physically heaps better. I've got a few yeah. meals. You get a vitamin B yeah. injection. And yeah. now I'm ready to go. I can take on the world. I'm never going to drink again. And, uh, but then I'd find I would again. Right? And this, this is this baffling thing. That why, why, with my own willpower, couldn't yeah. I do it? And by this time, I'm really sort of isolating because that's the progression of the... Apart from the drinking, we start, you know, really early, early on, we start lying about how much we drink. That's one of the first symptoms of alcoholism yep. is I start covering up and lying to the people around me about how much I'm drinking. And then that covering up and lying extends to other things in my life so no one trusts me. And then I start making... The next thing is I start making promises to other people and myself, I'm never going to drink again or I'm going to keep it under control, all those types of things. And then... Later, and then it develops to a point where I start isolating and I become really lonely. Mm. Right? And I was very, very sick, physically ill. As I was saying, people, you know, doctors were saying, this is going to kill you. And I ended up in a hospital in uh, Achuca. And from there, they organised for me to go to a long, longer-term rehab, a three-month rehab, which is in Bendigo, which is basically like a dry house, six guys living in a house, mm some staff there during the day sort of thing and you, you know and obviously no alcohol there and that's where i started going to aa as part of part of the rules of being in that house you had to do at least three meetings of aa right. and i didn't expect to get much from aa i thought what kind of bunch of people of amateur because i'd been to sort of doctors and professionals and stuff yeah. and what could some uh, you know, some alcoholics some you know not thinking, oh, they're recovered. They've got something more than me. But yeah. I, what, I, what would they know? What yeah. would they know? <laughs> you know? And uh, and what fascinated me is that I met people that I identified with them. I heard other people share their experience about what had happened to them, about their drinking, particularly to start with the things that I identified with is the fact that I can't control how much I take, how much I drink. That's the first thing I identify yeah. with, yeah. right? And then, and I sort of sort of knew that. Right? I'd known that for a long time. I knew other people like that. I drank with people who drank like me. Right? Was, <laughs> the people I was meeting in pubs and the people I was meeting in detoxes were like that. But I hadn't met anyone who'd actually recovered. Yes. So I knew these people were alcoholics because of the way they described their drinking. And then they were also describing this other part of it is that on their own they couldn't stop, that they hadn't been able to stop. And that was, that was definitely me. On my own resources, on my own willpower, I couldn't stay stopped for very long. Yeah. And they said... Well, we we've found a way to do that, and we um, you know, and we we as an organisation, well as a you know, yeah. as, as a, you know, AA, yeah. is that's what it's about. Yeah, that's what it's about. It's for yeah. people who want to stop drinking, and our purpose is to stay sober and help the next person who wants to stay sober, and that gave me a huge amount of hope. And I actually liked the people that I met. Yes, right. Yeah, and I started going to these meetings. You know, I only had to do three a week, but I actually started doing more than that because I liked being in the meeting, meetings with sober. Alcoholics better than with the other five guys back in the yeah. in the dry house who were yeah. just as sick as me. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? And so they give you know go to the meetings and they give you a cup of coffee and they shake your hand and they and they and they tell some interesting stories and they tell some tragic stories and they tell some funny stories and I just identify with the alcoholic journey and you know, this disease of alcoholism and so it was I was better off in the meeting than back at the rehab sitting around you know commiserating with how bad life is and all of that type of stuff. So yeah. I liked the meetings and that yeah. really attracted me. And then they said, we've got a solution to your problem and we've got actually you know, a process that we t- talk about, a 12-step process and, and that changes your thinking. And that attracted me as well. Yep. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, so, Chris, how did you get into AA and start to get sober? How, how mm. easy was it for you to, to do that process? Um, it's a really big decision, you know, and it had to come from um, a, a point of no return, really. Yeah, rock, I, I ran out bottom. of choices. Yeah, yeah. I ran out of choices and I ran out of places to go. So 
um, and I was very sick physically and I didn't trust doctors. I didn't trust many people at all. And so I'd heard about Alcoholics Anonymous and um, and I realised that I had nothing material and I had one daughter that was living with me and she was spending as much time away from me as possible. Yeah. And... Um, and so I, I had this choice, you know. Now I have a choice. You know, it's either I try Alcoholics Anonymous, I knew it meant abstinence, or I keep drinking. And I didn't have a plan after 40. No. Uh, so <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was my goal, to get to 40, and that was enough. But um, and so at this time I'm 37 years old, and it's a it, – you know, and at the at that moment, it was a really hard decision. Do I keep drinking because I know what that is, yep. or do I try AA? And because I didn't know people went to AA and kept drinking, right? I yeah. didn't know that's yeah. what what can happen. Yeah, you know, this not was everybody a, succeeds immediately. Yeah, no, no, no. And and it occurred to me really early that um, I once I started going to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I really related to the people that were there and identified with what they were talking about in regards to the disease. We all come from different walks of life. and But the disease of alcoholism was the same, you know. It started drinking and they couldn't stop. Yeah. And even when they did stop, like myself, this obsession had come back, all this desire to drink again would come back, and I'd do it. I'd have no defence against it. And and that's what I was hearing in the meetings. But they had this other thing that they were now sober. Yes. That, and that made, and they were laughing and they were happy about it. Yeah. And they could look back look back at it and understand that it wasn't the worst thing that ever happened, but it was pretty terrible and yeah. that things could get better. Yeah. Well to look at them and, and see that they were getting better and they were coping they were just living life. It wasn't just about coping with life. Yeah. It was living life and under all conditions. And so that was what I wanted. Yeah. You know? And they're living life without a drink because yeah. they didn't need to have a drink to live. Yeah. To live, yes. Yeah. 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 So they were living sober. Yeah. And, um, and so that was the attraction for me. Right. And I heard about the 12-step program. You know, and the first step was really easy. <laughs> I knew I was powerless over alcohol, and my life it was unmanageable. Yeah, and um, and so I really got stuck into it, yeah. and I I did the suggested things. You know, I didn't go to detox to get um, for the um, initially, so I um, detoxed at home, and but I had a lot of support from AA members. Mm-hmm. So was that hard? It was hard, yeah. you know, because um, I have a diversion against medication as well. So yeah. um, I'd have the electric fleas, which your skin crawls um, through the detoxing period. Um, I'd be very thirsty. I'd be, you know, hallucinating sometimes and sweating and not sleeping, all that sort of stuff. But people would, you know, give me suggestions and give me ideas of what to do and how to yeah. support myself there. So there was this sober community that wrapped itself around me. Yeah, very supporting, isn't it? It's, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that's the thing that you can relax for the first time in a long time, knowing that you're safe yes. and that people will support you. And if something goes wrong, they won't punish you. Yes. So I think that's, you know, for myself growing up in an alcoholic family, um, the, the thing was that everybody needed to get back at somebody for what they'd suffered. And it was this terrible situation where you're always a little bit anxious about being hurt again. And Mm. usually when you're quite vulnerable, people would hurt you. And it's so being in a safe environment where you didn't feel like you had to put up a a wall, Mm. um, you know, that's that's a really nice place to be. Yeah. That's one of the things about AA meetings that I noticed and, and, and even people, occasionally someone who's not an alcoholic will come to my home group AA meeting, mm. they're, they're, a ner- they're studying nursing or they're, they're there to observe sort of thing. And, they, and people come out of that a meeting of AA and they say, the thing that they notice is, first of all, the honesty of yes, the people yeah. that are there, the, the concern, and then the other thing is the concern and compassion for, 
our fellow alcoholics, right? That's that's an amazing thing that you know you don't see in a lot of a lot of places in the community. But there's this thing, this this place that I can go to that under that I identify with. They understand me, my my underlying problem, this alcoholism, and they're so friendly. And you know, and and why do we hesitate to go? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> why do we, we think it? You know, uh, and and probably one of the you know, biggest difficulties is is getting to your first meeting. You know? Yes, yeah. You know? yeah. That first meeting is you know, that little hurdle. You know, once once you've done it, it's, it becomes a lot easier. Just if you're looking for some help, you know, and and you know, you can just go along and sit in the back of a meeting and and not share anything, and and no one will bother you. No, that's okay. Yeah. No one demands yeah. anything of you. They don't even ask your real name. No. Right? <laughs> they, they don't ask you for money or yeah. anything. And if you yeah. say, if, if they might ask you, if you, do you want to share something or say something? If you say, no, I'm just listening tonight, no one minds. No one knows. You know, it's just that, that first meeting, though, I'd encourage anyone who's thinking of that, that they might have a problem and you haven't been to one, just look it up online or make a phone call, find out where it is, the, the, the phone number, one three hundred. Two 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 is the Alcoholics Anonymous line. Even if you're just curious about it, make the call. Go and have a look at it, right, to see whether it might work for you. And the other, uh, my first contact with um, any alcohol-related program was AA, um, and and I eventually went to Al-Anon. But but I guess the issue that I found was that. There I could understand what my father was. I got mm. some compassion for my father's mm. situation and realised that he wasn't trying to, trying to do this to us. He was, he was suffering himself. Mm. And just that acknowledgement and I guess getting a bit of empathy for his situation meant that I could take the pressure off him and to realise that you know, it, was, it was the way I looked at the situation his drinking wasn't a problem to him; it was a problem to me, mm. and and that was a major major step forward. Yeah. Mm. So, even people who families of alcoholics, um, I'm going to say there are there's Al-Anon, but going to an AA meeting will give you a, a great insight into what the alcoholics going through, yeah. and to listen to people who who are recovering, to talk about where they've come from and the sort of situations they've been in. And mm. they've come back from the brink, and yeah. you just—it's just amazing. Mm. Yes. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Well, listen, we might take another quick break. Tree Project are a Melbourne-based organisation that have been replanting Indigenous trees in Victoria for 30 years now, and we need your help. You can become a Tree Project member, a seedling grower in your own backyard, or organise your friends to do a planting day. If you're a landholder in rural Victoria and would like to restore habitat on your land, Tree Project is keen to help out. We also offer sponsorship opportunities and take work teams for a planting day. Visit treeproject.org.au to learn more. A 3CR supporter. Okay, and welcome back to Living Free on 3CR, digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. We're talking to Chris and David about being alcoholics and being in AA. And now we're going to talk a bit about what it's like having come into AA and what it's like after AA, how your life changes, um, and so, David, I wonder if you could just talk to us about what what helped you the most in AA. Yeah. As, as I was saying, I mean, the thing that I first got was I, I, this identification with other alcoholics. And then the second thing I got was this hope that, well, maybe I can get well. And I sort of think, what, what do I need to do? And they said, the deal is, this this deal in AA, is that we'll help you. And the, and the deal is that when you get well, the deal is that you get then help the next person. Right. And this is something I discovered about life, in fact, is that in order to live a successful life and be, you know, <laughs> and get on with life, trying to help the next person has become a really big part in my life. And I did a whole lot of the suggested things in AA. I went to lots of meetings to start with. I had nothing else to do. I'd lost my job and my family and yes. everything else. So I went to a lot of meetings and I, and I went through the process. They talked about this 12-step process and had a look at myself and taking an inventory and I shared it with someone else. I became willing to change. I became willing to make amends to the people that I'd, you know, and clear up as much of the damage I'd done in the past as I could. Mm. And that's part of that 12-step program. 
And then I get to these, the last part of it where on a daily basis I'm tr- looking at myself trying to live a better life. Right? I'm not perfect. No one's, we're not expected perfection, but just to, to live this, this different life of trying to be of service to the next, pe- next person. You know? um, and that's a big part of my life, this 12th step, trying to carry the message. And, and so over the years, you know, I've been members of AA groups. I was there in Bendigo. I was a couple of years sober when Chris came along into AA. Well, I met her before she came into AA, and then I moved to Melbourne before she got sober. <laughs> but that's another story. Um, but always been involved with, with – uh, AA runs with these little groups, always involved with a, with a home group where we do something, and we, we go and visit the local detox and, we, and, we, and the local women's refuge, and we – organize other events and things like that and and i've been to aa all over the world you know been to aa in india and in the u.s and canada and thailand and all and there's sort of like anywhere i go in the world there are sober friends i haven't met yet yes and that's an amazing part of it so i'd love to be being i've always been involved in it and my life you know got, got a career rebuilt the career rebuilt a family right and it wasn't always great there are tragic there's certainly tragedies in my life Right, and difficulties, but I've stayed sober with the program and with the support of this amazing sort of community, sober community. Man. And my, I love my home group. We meet on a Friday night in, in Heidelberg. I just want to mention one thing that we're doing uh, next month in May is that my home group runs a whole weekend just talking about AA and the 12-step program. Right. It runs from the 19th to the 21st of May in Heidelberg. If you Google uh, Melbourne AA Steps Weekend, You'll, 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 you'll be able it. to find it, right. yeah. Okay, thank you. <laughs> yes, no, it's, um, I think service is an important part of recovery. It's, I guess it's like that concept of um, playing it forward. You know, it's, yeah. it's, not, it's not giving somebody who's helped you something. It's giving somebody who doesn't even know you something. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, it's... And it, expecting nothing in return. Yes, you know, exactly. Just yeah. that this yeah. is the deal. You know, yeah. I'm going to help you or this is, I'm going to pass on my experience. And the deal is if you get something out of it, then you've got to pass it on to the next person. Well, you don't even have to, but you'll want to. Well, you, yeah, yeah, you, you will want, want to. to. That's yeah. right. Yeah, that's good. So, Chris, what was your experience in, you know, finding something in AA that would help you live the rest of your life? Yeah, they're um, finding that in the strength and um, and being around a sober community where I had this um, format to be able to help others. You know, it's not something I wanted to do when I first got sober. It's just like all about me when I'm first sober and I'm trying to go to as many meetings as possible. Um, Melissa, my daughter, came back when I was four months sober and she was astounded at the changes because I'm not the same person, you know. I got well, no. yeah. you know. I got better. Yeah, you're not. You're not a different person. You just not the, the You're same. the real. Yeah, you're <laughs> the real person. Yeah, and, and that was the thing. The the twelve step program, you know, elevated me to be the same as everyone else. Yes, I was really right down rock bottom uh, as an individual, yeah. and um, and the program and and the fellowship, you know allowed me to be the same as everyone else, you know, yes. with the same weaknesses and the same strengths yep. and, and acceptances and, and life. And to accept yourself, you know, primarily as yeah. okay, I'm okay, I just have a few problems. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and those changed over the years, you know, and life got different. And, um, and being able to be a parent again, you know, mm. just not this person that sat in the corner and drank, was drinking herself to death and, yeah. and not being present. Yeah. So being able to be a parent to my four children and getting them to um, seeing their support once I was sober. You know, they were saying the AA speak to me. Yes. You know, when you go into that meeting, Mum, yeah. you know, <laughs> whatever you do there, I don't know what you do, but keep doing it. Yeah, just you know? go back and get some more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so they were – other people were seeing the changes before I did. Yes. And um, and that sort of um, kept me um, connected. You know, I need to be connected to Alcoholics Anonymous you know, there's been times, and David mentioned, there's been real tragedy in our lives. And um, and so I'm getting through those things and, and and not always being able to get to meetings and but always having AA being there, you know, always yes. being. But um, 
when I was 14 months sober and Wendy and Melissa were killed in a car crash. Oh, my goodness. They were 16 and 17. And um, and you think, you know, sobriety is all about fluffiness and flowers and, you know, it's got, well, life's going to be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And it came quickly that that's not true, you know. And and all through that week we, there was a lot to do, you know, and finding their father who'd gone bush and and um, organising the the funerals and things like that. And I remember being at my mum's place in Marnsbury and I had Grant, who was then um, 15, and my youngest daughter, Nicole, who was nine. And through the 12-step program, I learned a meditation technique. Yeah. And so I sort of <laughs> came out of that and realised that I hadn't even thought of a drink. Yes, Good And I go, yeah. wow, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. through everything that had happened and I buried my daughters with grace and dignity. Yes. And, um, and then the next thing that I did the day of the funeral was help somebody else. Mm. You know, someone rang up. They were in despair. They were in desperate need to have someone to talk to. They hadn't heard of the crash. They hadn't heard of the, no. what, what had happened. And I didn't need to tell her. No. She was helping just me another more person. Yeah. than yeah. I was helping her. Yeah. And so I knew that principle worked. And that's kept me in, a, in, a, in an amazing position for the last 21 years. Mm. And, or for the last 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I understand also your son was yep. drug addict and alcoholic as well. Well, after he lost his sisters, and it was a very, very dark time for all of us. Yes. Um, my first husband died at 50. He, um, yeah, through a broken heart and through addiction. And um, he never seeked any support. And Grant was in a very severe crash as well, and his base best mate was killed when oh. he was 26 so grant was really um you know in despair as well and so his drinking and using really got out of hand and um and so he actually came to live with us uh, because he couldn't look after himself and my younger daughter also had a severe crash we've had some pretty bad yeah. times yeah. but all through these times i don't drink and i can be of service to my family if I can't be of service to anyone else. Yes. And um, and he Grant came to me when he was 30 and crying and he said I was going to kill myself yesterday and the only thing I had to offer was the AA program. And he went to AA and he's been sober six years. Wow. Clean yeah. and sober. Yeah. So he, he hasn't been using either and... And, you know, has really turned his life around and it's changed him. You know, he was six foot two when he came into the fellowship. He's now six foot three. Yeah. And in his last year of us as becoming a psychologist. Wow. You know, wow yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And he's 36 years old. Yeah, you know, it's terrific. Lovingly, lots. Yeah. But those, that's, they're really fairy tale. You know, it's a fairy yeah. tale at the end. Yeah. But, you know, I've buried three daughters in mm. sobriety. Yeah. And... Um, and we've got through that. You know, every day is different and um, it's, it's not better. It's just different. Yes. And I can, I can hang on to that yeah. sober. Yeah. I couldn't do it if I was drinking. No. But I can do no. it sober. Yeah. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, well, listen, if anybody's out there who'd like to find out more about Alcoholics Anonymous... Then you can phone them on 1300 222 uh, or you can go online at aa.org.au. Uh, that's about all we've got time for today. I'd like to say thanks to our guests, Chris and David, for sharing their AA recovery experience. Thanks for thanks, the opportunity. Yep. Uh, thanks for listening, and stay tuned now for Alternative, hosted by Robbie. And to take us out, we've got a song called The Last of the True Believers, and it's by Nancy Griffith. Oh, he said it was the sound of the winter calling. I'm up around the bend, or it could be the cry of your restless heart, or the love of your long lost friend. Oh, but me, I think it's just the summertime and the heat of these tax sales winds. They keep on a slapping my face with dust so thick that the tears won't roll again. Last of the true believers, if you grow weary all alone, you could go home again, home again, home.
Come on up around the bend. Last of the true believers. 